0: We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data?
1: Now, that's
0: what I call science. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are all gathering today, the Palawa people. Today, we are meeting across Lutruwita Aboriginal land, sea and waterways online. On behalf of everyone, I would like to pay my respects to elders past and present, as well as the Tasmanian Aboriginal community who continue to care for country. We recognize a history of truth, which acknowledges the impacts of invasion and colonization upon Aboriginal people resulting in the forcible removal from their lands. We stand for a future that profoundly respects and acknowledges Aboriginal perspectives, culture, language and history. And a continued effort to fight for Aboriginal justice and rights, paving the way for a strong future. Hi and welcome to Working on Water, a collaborative project between That's What I Call Science and the Royal Society of Tasmania, part of National Science Week 2020. We'll be talking with four women working in marine science and I'm joined now with Mary Ann Lee from the Institute for Marine and Antarctic Studies, a faculty at the University of Tasmania. It's great to have you here, Marianne. Thanks, Ali. Um, To open with today, could you please tell us about your current role here at IMAS? Yes, I can. So I have a great job here at IMAS.
1: Um, I'm an associate professor and a a researcher and a lecturer. So I study marine predators in the ocean out here. So seals and seabirds, penguins, their behaviour and ecology, how they interact with climate, human activities, but really I'm fascinated by their behaviour. So um, I have a lot of fun working with students here at IMS. Mm-hmm. How often does your work take you out into the field? Less than it used to, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we do quite a lot of local work here in Tasmania. We have a lot of marine predators here, um, and we know surprisingly little about them. But yes, since I was 19, I've been heading out on expeditions to study whales and seals and seabirds in various parts of the world. Oh, wow. What Where in the world? What sort of places have you been to? Uh, Well, when I was 19, I was in second year, so I was undergrad. I went up to Queensland and helped on a humpback whale research project. I'd never seen a whale before, and the first time I saw a whale was a mother and calf breaching in tandem (gasps) only 20 metres away from the boat, so that was pretty
0: gobsmacking. Yeah, (laughs) wow. That was enough to hook me, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Did you Before then, did you know that you wanted to go into marine science, or was that the moment for you? I
1: think I was always interested in animals Mm -hmm. and behaviour. I remember doing an animal behaviour subject in high school and being really fascinated by it, Mm -hmm. um, which led me to do science at uni, which Mm -hmm. is when I got the opportunity to do that um, whale volunteering. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, it was an innate interest in animal behaviour much earlier on in my life.
0: Mm -hmm. And after your undergraduate bachelor's, did you go on to do honours? And did you have another amazing field trip with that one? I did. So I took a
1: year off after my undergrad and travelled, as Australians tend to do. And then I actually came here to Tasmania Mm -hmm. and I did an honours in the zoology department here. And it was studying fur seals down on Matzika Island, Mm -hmm. which is south of Tassie. It's Mm -hmm. the southernmost lighthouse in Australia. Mm
0: -hmm. And back
1: then it was still manned. So there were a couple of lighthouse keepers living on the island. Wow, so it was just you and the lighthouse keepers? Yes, there would be two or three of us and Mm -hmm. we would hitch down on crayfishing boats or however we could get there. (laughs) Oh, wow. So it was a big
0: adventure. Yeah, (laughs) how long were you down
1: there for? Uh, Usually about two weeks Mm -hmm. and we'd camp or stay in an old haulage way. What's a haulage way? It's um, on Matzika Island. There's this old shed uh, on the east coast. And they had um, some machinery for hauling up equipment mm-hmm. for building the lighthouse and the buildings and everything. So we'd stay in this very cold building with <laughs> a no. dirt floor, but it was right above the first seal colony. It was yeah. magical.
0: Wow, that's incredible. I bet the, uh, the smell of the seals was something you remembered for years after. <laughs> Definitely. And the milos that the lighthouse keepers used to make us. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Um, what happened after that? Did you then come back to Tasmania or as in carry on your research here? then I travelled again.
1: Oh, OK. <laughs> oh, no, no, I didn't actually. No, I, um, yeah, kind of travel. Uh, I volunteered on a project on crested penguin ecology down on Macquarie Island for one of the PhD students mm-hmm. who was in our lab. Oh, well, and
0: Macquarie Island is? Is a sub-Antarctic
1: island, 1500 kilometres southeast of Tasmania, but it's actually part of Tasmania.
0: Oh, OK. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's um, a wilderness, like it's a World Heritage Area. Mm-hmm. And so I spent five months living in a tiny field hut, which is an old aircraft engine hut, two hours from the main base. Wow. And our hut was surrounded by a king penguin colony. Um, <laughs> from
0: against, to yeah,
1: stuff to <laughs> stuff of dreams. Um, you'd kind of open this little hatchway and there's penguins everywhere. Sometimes we got locked in by an elephant seal that would decide oh, to sleep gosh. in the <laughs> alcove. <laughs> Yeah so I did that for a summer season which was you know mind-blowing as you can imagine Mm. and then I ended up getting a job as a research assistant for a couple of years um, with Mark working on um, Mark Mark Hindle here Mm. at IMAS and studying southern elephant seal ecology Mm. so that was another couple of seasons on Macquarie Island Mm -hmm. So uh, great to receive
0: um, some money for doing something you absolutely adore for a couple of years. (laughs) It's amazing to get to go to these really remote places for long term. With the Southern Elephant Seals, what is it about them that you're studying? So
1: Elephant Seals, Southern Elephant Seals, Northern Elephant Seals are remarkable divers. So they can dive to two kilometers below the ocean Mm. and they have remarkable physiology that enables them to attain those depths. Mm -hmm. And so back then, we still didn't know an awful lot about their behaviour. So they come to Macquarie Island to breed. It's one of the larger breeding sites of Southern elephant seals in the world. Mm -hmm. And then they have to migrate thousands of kilometres into the Southern Ocean to feed. So they feed away from where they breed. And so we were interested to know um, where they went, what their diving behaviour was. We even studied their heart rate. Oh, wow. Yeah, mm. it was the first time that we could study heart rate in a free-ranging elephant seal. Mm. So there was a lot of hanging out on beaches filled with hundreds, if not thousands, of elephant seals, some of them three tons. Yeah. <laughs> How is it, what is it like working with an animal that's so big is it daunting is it scary it's exciting oh
0: yeah.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we had to anesthetize them mm-hmm. and then move them out of the colony mm-hmm. so i've got very strong muscles well, and I was working on elephant seals. <laughs> yeah um and yeah we would weigh them um, and then we would attach a dive lugger mm-hmm. to their back and oh. the whole process would take about 20 minutes okay. and we were very vigilant about the other elephant mm-hmm. seals around because yeah. um,
0: do you have That's to do that in a team? So there's a few of you? Uh
1: yes. So actually sometimes we were only two. Mm. But you can be that few if you communicate really well. Yeah. And if you're really aware of animals. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you have to be ready to move quickly.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Just <laughs> turn around and there's a seal in front of you. Yeah, that yeah. did happen. Yeah. <laughs> so in contrast, what it what is it like working with the penguins and other seabirds? It must is it possibly easier, or is it even harder in some ways?
1: Well, in some ways, once you've overcome the direct challenges of working in a harem of elephant seals, Mm. um, it's easier because the animals are anaesthetised. And and while you're taking great care Mm -hmm. for them because they're sedated, um, you can go about your business pretty Mm -hmm. quickly. Um, For penguins, you know, penguins are pretty feisty. (laughs) (laughs) And they've got... um, Especially those crested penguins on Macquarie, they've got a large beak and mm. it's right at that height just above your gumboot. And they're pretty good at just going like this. Oh. you know. <laughs> and if that's not how they get you, they have these flippers which are like little wooden paddles. Mm-hmm. So then they'll hit you with those. <laughs> you know, so. There's actually more danger from an animal half the size. Yeah, you, know, <laughs> you
0: need to be nimble. So when you're out on these expeditions for two weeks or five months do you have any personal traditions or habits? I think you know for me being an ecologist mm. just being
1: in a place like that which is a living zoo mm-hmm. you know with, with animals that are not really used to humans and in such great numbers mm. um, you know, it was like being in a wildlife documentary every day. Mm. So, I mean, for me, I was just totally filled with wonder all the time. You know, you Mm -hmm. wouldn't see me happier anywhere else, I don't think. But obviously for other expeditioners who aren't ecologists, um, you know, it's a quite different experience, still full of wonder, Mm -hmm. but perhaps the weather and the isolation um, could take a greater toll if you really weren't into what you were doing. Mm. But you make tremendous friendships and in fact, the rest of the world ceased to exist to some extent. <laughs> I mean, back then, we didn't have the communications that we have now.
0: Oh, of course. You and so cut off. you were
1: gone, mm. you know, and then a ship would come in with mail and <laughs> presents, hopefully, oh. <laughs> but we were pretty cut off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, occasionally you might call home. It cost, mm. I think, 90 cents
0: a minute to call home. Wow. So you didn't do it very often. And after working down on Matzai and Macquarie, where else have you been? So I did
1: a PhD studying Mm -hmm. Antarctic fur seal ecology and how their behaviour related to the Antarctic polar front. Mm -hmm. And that was on a French sub-Antarctic island Mm -hmm. called so mm-hmm. yeah, as you can see, the islands I worked on got more and more remote with <laughs> time and with different languages, which is another form of isolation. But I could speak French mm-hmm. and um, this island is in the middle of the Southern Indian Ocean. It's thousands of kilometres from Australia and Africa and Antarctica. It's really in the middle oh, of nowhere. Um, really remote. <laughs> really remote. And then our field hut was two days travel from the main base on that island. Again, a wonderful setup with a field hut just along the coast from a fur seal colony. Mm. Um, And I spent, I had three long summers going to that island to study the fur seals there.
0: Wow, wonderful. How did you find it working in an international team?
1: Well, you know, definitely my French improved Mm. uh, from the first season through to the last. We Mm. had to do the radio skeds in French. I only learnt at the end of the third summer that the whole base had been tuning in to hear this Australian woman (laughs) speak French with an Australian accent Um, and there were very few women you know there Mm. was I think a hundred people on the whole island Mm -hmm. and there were only three women but in our field hut we were only three or four so you you know you didn't notice that so much Mm -hmm. Um, it was you know we were just in the wilderness studying seals and yeah, so in terms of learning a new language while, while being remote and trying to do your PhD, mm-hmm. it was definitely challenging, but it was also, you know, a really great privilege because it's hard to learn a language unless you're totally immersed and I was utterly immersed. I've noticed now that um, when I go to France that people are quite keen to practise their English and back then everyone was really shy. I think I learned a lot more French than they did English.
0: I also learned a lot of French slang <laughs> useful. <laughs> in that sense, having a second language really helped you in your scientific career. Are there any other valuable tips or skills that you wouldn't necessarily would help you in science but have? Yeah, that's a really great question,
1: Ali. You know, it, hel- it helps in all aspects of life, as I think we're all aware at the moment mm. to be resilient. And sometimes you don't know how resilient you are until you're tested, Mm -hmm. you know, and often, you know, we can become more resilient with more and more experiences. So certainly um, a career in science can be challenging Mm. and being resilient helps. Um, I've been very privileged in that I've been able to travel a lot and I love traveling. So that's worked for me, for some people they don't want to travel as much and that's fine. It's not always easy to find a job where you live in mm-hmm. science. And so you do have to be adaptable and open to opportunities when they come up. And if that's not happening, then you have to make
0: your own opportunities. Oh, what a great line, make your own opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned that on one of your stations, there are only three women out of 100 workers. How important do you think increasing that diversity has been in science?
1: Well, that's a big question, Mm -hmm. isn't it, Ollie? Um, Well, certainly as a woman in STEM, and like a white woman in STEM, it's made a big difference to me later on in my career to start seeing more women Uh, especially more women at the lower levels in STEM. But now, at least here in IMAS, Mm. we're starting to see more and more women in the higher positions. There's still a lag effect, but it changes the culture, it's more inclusive, it creates different initiatives and opportunities, and of course it creates role models Mm. for the younger students and women um, in STEM who are coming up. So I'm not sure how they feel about seeing more women um, in these higher levels. I never really had any when I was um, in my discipline area. So um, yeah, it's all positive as far as I can see. Certainly we're heading in the right direction and we're doing more and more things to make our workplaces more equitable.
0: Mm. And it's so important as well. I remember in my own undergraduate degree being told by a tutor in zoology undergraduate, it was more, females than males. But then with every layer that you went up, it switched the other way until by the time you get to professor, it's very heavily male dominated. And you're very involved in encouraging women into science. And one of your huge projects that you're involved with is Homeward Bound. So can you please tell us a bit about Homeward Bound?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for asking. So um, Homeward Bound is an initiative that started almost five years ago. And the mission of Homeward Bound is to, as we were just discussing, um, enable more women in STEM to reach positions of leadership. And that's so that we can have an equal number of male and female and other gendered voices at the table making important decisions about the future of our planet.
0: What exactly does Homeward Bound
1: entail? You know, it's an unusual program that attracts women from all over the world with lots of different STEM backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So obviously I'm an academic, I work in a university, I get to do research um, and work in learning. Lots of women and people in STEM work in a myriad of other disciplines and jobs connected to science and technology, engineering, maths and medicine. And they come together from all over the world uh, into this program, which starts off virtually And the program aims to give them skills in leadership, um, strategy development, how to be visible in the world in a way that suits their values. Mm -hmm. And it also creates a network of women all over the world who can support each other, who work together, and who strive for better outcomes for everyone in STEM and for the planet as a whole going forward. We hope that there will be lots of ripple effects Mm -hmm. that flow on from Homeward Bound into the future. And we are already starting to see those occur, Mm -hmm. which is wonderful. It's uh, better than we ever could have hoped.
0: Yeah. It's incredibly exciting to think that all these women from around the world can unify and work together. But you mentioned that it begins off virtually. So does that mean they end up working together Together? in person? Yes, I
1: did miss a really important part (laughs) of the program, so yes. Because they're all over the world, Uh, the program kicks off um, online with regular meetings and different parts of the program delivered virtually. And then it culminates in everyone coming together at the southern tip of South America in a place called Ushuaia, which is a, a starting off point for sailing to Antarctica. And the reason that the program was constructed that way is for many of us who are involved in founding it, um, work in, in the polar regions. And it's also a very big, um, I guess, canary or sentinel of the changes that we're seeing on our planet in terms of climate change. And it's also very international. There are many scientific bases in the Antarctic Peninsula. So we can take the women to these bases. They can see how science and uh, different countries operate in the Antarctic. And um, it's also isolated and so everyone isn't connecting to the outside world as they do at home which means they can concentrate um, on themselves and each other Mm -hmm. and about developing i guess reflecting on where they are now where they want to be what skills they need in order to get there it provides an environment that's highly unusual Mm -hmm. and quite transformative
0: what's an ordinary day like on that voyage busy <laughs> noisy uh, animated
1: it's very mm-hmm. animated of course a life on a tourist ship in antarctica mm-hmm. is animated yep. anyone who goes to antarctica for the first time or even the 10th time is incredibly affected by antarctica so there's that mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's um 80 women in stem 80 to 100 women in stem on a ship together mm-hmm. and They're discussing everything from, you know, what they do in their day jobs to what they plan for the future, their families, the wildlife, so many different things. So it's also exhausting for everyone Mm. because there's so many stimuli coming at them, whether it's from the content or from what's going on outside the windows. People are often also very keen to get some quiet, reflective time where Mm. they can take in what they're learning as well as where they are.
0: What's the process for getting involved in Homeward Bound? So we
1: have um, a call out usually every year or mm-hmm. so. People can apply. There's a, mm-hmm. an application form and a short two-minute video that everyone has <laughs> to supply about themselves. Uh, I think everyone's quite courageous. I'm not sure if I could apply. <laughs> 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 yeah, and so... Um, Yeah, we have a selection process about once a year for Mm -hmm. each different cohort and we aim to have 10 cohorts in 10 years. Mm
0: -hmm. And what's the age range of these women? Is it early career researchers or is it younger or is it sort of mid-career? everything. Anyone? Anyone. Um, Usually
1: from maybe mid-20s on uh, until early 70s. We've had women in their early 70s and and that's one of the really special (laughs) things about it You know, I mean, uh, my family's always been overseas, so I haven't grown up having grandparents around me as much as I would have liked. And then on the ship, there are so many ages and backgrounds. You very rarely in your life get to spend time with people of any gender in that context, but especially as women, with that many women in that scenario, it's very special.
0: Now, a fun fact is that Mary Ann is actually my PhD supervisor and I started in November last year and we are part of the Marine Predator Lab here at IMAS, also affectionately named MPRED. Now, before I started my PhD, I read a lot of help articles, as in a lot, and one recurring theme was how isolating and scary a PhD is. And I feel incredibly fortunate to be in a lab group that is Uh, both academically helpful and socially. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how, over the course of your career, how important you found having that connection and not being on your own. It's a theme, isn't it? Mm. Um, Very. Mm. You know, that's a great question, Oli. And
1: like you, I was lucky enough to have that same experience. I was in a very dynamic, academic, social, fun, um, challenging you know, a really great lab when I was doing my PhD. And as I've moved through my career, I've firsthand I felt the importance of that. Mm. And so I definitely wanted to create that or help create that here. And I think part of that being effective is that everyone feels empowered to, contribute to that group, mm. you know, that it's not too hierarchical, that there's opportunity, that it's social, it's respectful, it's inclusive, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Importantly
0: it's yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but
1: I, I'm really interested to hear your perspective on that and what
0: that means um for you. Oh, it means a great deal for me. Because there have been some days where sort of maybe something hasn't gone right with the analysis or quite frequently, I find that I have a question and I feel as though it's an incredibly stupid question. And as my supervisor, you're very approachable, incredibly approachable. But there's some things that I, I just don't want to look stupid in front of you. So if it's something that one of those sort of questions, I would go to um, someone in our lab group. And I have, in particular, a mentor who I find has really helped me in being able to voice those questions without a fear of judgment and it makes a huge difference because I do have a few other PhD friends that don't have that lab group and even within our lab group we've taken in a few lab orphans (laughs) which I think is just wonderful that we have this sort of atmosphere that you don't actually have to be working directly with seabirds or seals to belong in mPred. I really love it.
1: Yeah, that's great. I'm glad it's working. <laughs> but um, that idea of mentorship that you mentioned mm. is really important. And also that idea of not wanting to look stupid. And of course, we would never want you to feel stupid in, in front of us. But we recognise that that's a real feeling mm. um, at that stage in your career. And so it's great that that mentorship has evolved um organically. And I think with mentoring, you can't foist people on each other, Mm -hmm. everyone's so different. And you need to find a person who can work well as a mentor for you and who wants a mentee, Mm -hmm. you know, and there are kind of rules of engagement at the start, you know, it needs to be respectful and it needs to work for both people. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's critically important, isn't it? Yeah. And I think if people don't have a mentor, then it's worth really thinking about how they can find one. Hmm. and asking others to help them find one if
0: they feel they can't do it on their own definitely and aside from the sort of challenges in terms of our academics it's so lovely having a group for a Friday evening to go and then socialize with and sort of see on the other side of the PhD and not just have them in the office but also I'm from the UK and so I moved here not knowing anyone and it's Great to have this sort of connection of 20 people, 20 friends instantly. It's really nice. Yeah, it's one of the special parts of yeah, studying. definitely. <laughs> For sure. Awesome. Thinking about the challenges that you've had and everything you've faced, if you could give one particularly useful piece of advice to a young girl or boy pre-university thinking about marine science, what would you say? I would say to not lose your
1: sense of curiosity,
0: mm.
1: you know? And if, if you're passionate and really interested about something, um, you know, it doesn't have to be the thing that you will spend your whole life striving towards, necessarily. It's a, it's a constant learning journey. But follow that curiosity and passion, you know, and, and don't let people get in the way. If you know that that's what you're really interested in, keep striving towards that. When interested, young people, email us <laughs> or walk into our offices you know it's um it's infectious that kind of energy and um desire to learn and to contribute you know and i think um i wouldn't want anyone to have that
0: quashed inside them so don't give up <laughs> this has been so fantastic talking with you marianne big thank you for coming on today and talking with us Thanks, Ollie. such a pleasure. (laughs) And thank you for watching. If you are interested in That's What I Call Science or the Royal Society of Tasmania, you can find us on our social media outlets. Thank you and goodbye.
1: You've been listening to That's What I Call Science, brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science on all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at EDGE Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support community radio. Gemmaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. Gemmaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information.